0: Let's look at that portion of Scripture, Psalm 23. And we'll study it. We'll try not to rush through it. There's so much in it that we don't want to skip anything. It might be well to remember that the 23rd Psalm, most of us are familiar with, comes after the Psalm of the Cross, the 22nd Psalm. There couldn't be the green pastures and the still waters for our souls without the cross of Christ. And so the 22nd Psalm says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We taught it during the last... That's what the words Jesus spoke out on the cross. And the 22nd and 23rd and 24th shows us the Lord, our shepherd. He is the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep in the 22nd Psalm. He is the great shepherd in the 23rd Psalm, shepherd of the resurrection. And he is the chief shepherd that shall appear in the 24th Psalm. And so we find that all three aspects of Christ as shepherd, this is the shepherd psalm. In fact, if you want to know the good shepherd, we find in John 10, verse 11, that he laid down his life for the sheep. And in 1 Peter 5, and verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, then you'll receive a crown of glory. And that's to the under shepherds, like pastors and preachers that fadeth not away. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, and these are three key verses to show us the shepherd uh, work of Jesus. The first one was John 10, remember, the good shepherd. And then the the, uh, chief shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And then in Hebrews 13, verse 20, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He brought again from the dead that uh, great shepherd of the sheep. And so he's the great shepherd of a resurrection. And he's the chief shepherd when he shall appear in glory. I really got those two verses. Vice versa, they should go in the opposite uh, relationship because he's the great shepherd of the resurrection. The chief shepherd is he comes in glory, 1 Peter 5, verse 4. So you have all three of these aspects. But let's look at the 23rd Psalm, and we'll deal with it as we see. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Notice what the psalmist said here. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say, If if so, or I hope so, or maybe he is. But he said, The Lord is my shepherd. And the Lord needs to be a personal, this is a personal relationship. So whatever he is to the rest of the world... That may be well and good, he may be other people's shepherd, but he is my shepherd. And you see, salvation is personal, and our leadership, our uh, following the Lord, and him being our shepherd as we follow him, is personal too. And everyone's not the same. We talked to a young man this afternoon, and he said that he, Randy asked him if he's accepted the Lord, yes, way back when he was a boy, but... He didn't remember a whole lot about it. Well, you know, that's personal. But he, he is a Christian. He's saved. You know, when people trust the Lord, when, when you're saved, you don't have to have the same experience as the Apostle Paul or some other fellow that was converted from whatever he was. You, you don't have to have the same experience. But you have to trust in the Lord personally. And it's individually. And it doesn't make any difference whether you're saved as a little boy or girl in Sunday school or as a young person or as a grown-up or wherever, or however. You have to trust in Jesus for your salvation, totally and completely, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you know, I talked to Tito that came this morning before, and he, he understood the doctrine of salvation by grace. No works, no doing penance, no doing this other stuff that you have to do to earn it. He understood that, as I talked to him before, about two or three weeks ago. So this morning, he he just wanted to come. He knew he needed to be baptized. And, you know, he was given the opportunity and needed a little persuasion. First time I ever did that in my life to try to persuade someone. But you know what I mean. Uh, Ordinarily, an invitation, I just give the invitation. But he wanted to. He wanted to come. And the lady Tina's uh, uh, aunt that was here... My wife was talking to her and she says he just lit up like a light when he when he saw Brother Joyce asking him to come on over there because that's what he wanted. He said he wanted someone to say something. And so you have to be definitely led of the Holy Spirit to want to do something like that. Don't do it as a matter of just common, ordinary, everyday practice. But do it as the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you and under no other conditions. So we find that the Lord is my shepherd. It's a personal matter, isn't it? And it gives you confidence. This is great confidence to have the Lord as your shepherd. We find His care for the sheep. And Isaiah 40, verse 11 says this. Isaiah 40, verse 11. It says, He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom. Look at the tenderness. And it says, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Can you find such tender care anywhere? You get that verse? Listen. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in His arm and carry them in His bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. He's not going to lead them in a a, a rash, harsh way, but gently lead those that are with young. So the Lord has great care of us, doesn't He? We find that uh, He is, of course, our shepherd and sheep are considered to be Uh, an object of property. We belong to Him. You know, sheep belong to an owner. They belong to someone. They're not just wild animals out in the woods, out in the wilderness, are they? They have an owner. So we belong to Him. And so when when the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, I belong to someone. And that someone is the shepherd that takes care of me. And uh, no one can call uh, the Lord their shepherd unless they have a renewed nature because by nature we're not sheep we are wolves or we're uh, goats or something foreign to being sheep we're not sheep and we become sheep all through the psalms you'll find that the people of god are the sheep of his pasture and they're the ones that are spoken of in fact if i had time to just go through the psalms and show you there's at least four or five references and you'll find them in your reference columns Uh, that show that we're the sheep of His pasture. His people are the sheep of His pasture. So the people are compared to sheep. And so if we have a renewed nature, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, I shall not want. I shall not want. Others may want, but I shall not want. Someone says, well, we need so many things. Yes, but whatever we have, we shall not want. It'll be sufficient. You know, I'm reminded of a story of a a widow lady that had just a little bread and a very a small portion of food. And she says, God having the Lord to to be my shepherd and then all of this too? You know, and people that have great spreads of food, sometimes they don't even think anything about it. But the people that have a little bit with God's blessings, they consider it a great deal. I can remember I was always thankful to have any kind of food on the table that was uh, uh, you know, of the meanest nature, so to speak. Just whatever fare that we had was good because God had provided it. And uh, if we learn to accept what God has given us and not always be discontented with it, let's learn that God shall take care of us as the song goes. God will take care of you. Now, I shall not want for temporal things. For temporal things. God supplies those things. And we are thankful for them. I could mention personal things, but I won't continue to do that because I'd learn everything, wouldn't I, if I did. Because blessings have come to Randy and I both today that we dare not speak of. I mean, if we told everybody what, what all the Lord does for us, at every moment, will you, that's all you'd hear and you wouldn't hear the message. But anyway, the Lord does take care of us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You lie down. I shall not want for rest. Because when you lie down, you find rest. In green pastures. In the green pastures. Pastures furnish the food. Green pastures for sheep. That's something else, isn't it? To have a lot of green grass to, for them to eat on and to, to satisfy them their hunger. And every Christian has the green pastures of God's Word. I mean, we feed upon God's Word and it's like green pastures. All of His promises, all the doctrines of grace, all the truths of the Bible, all the many things that He's given to us in accordance to His Word, they're like green pastures. And they're sufficient. And it's sad when God's people become discontented with all the pastures that He's given us to feed upon. It's kind of like the children of Israel of old when God was giving them manna from heaven, you know. And they begin to murmur and they said, Our soul loatheth this light bread, this manna from heaven. So the Lord sent fire serpents among them, and they were bitten, and they, they had a plague of, of a sentence of death. Everyone that was bitten by these serpents were were under the sentence of death. They were dying by numbers. And God told Moses, He says, raise up a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and everyone that looks and beholds, looks upon that serpent, shall live. They'll be stayed from that plague. And just as uh, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness for their physical safety and uh, delivered them from the sentence of death, the Bible says, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him looks upon him in faith. That's what Moses was telling the children of Israel. Whosoever looks upon him in faith, saying, this is the, the, the one that is born by uh, my judgment and is the sacrifice for my sins shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so that's, that's the picture of salvation for every believer. So, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. There are green pastures of his word. And we have rest. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly and hard, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. It says, uh, waters of quietness. Still waters. In other words, there's not only rest. It, you could use that first verse where it says, I shall not want for everything we're about to say. I shall not want for rest, because he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And I shall not rest uh, or not want for peace, because he leadeth me beside the still waters, peaceful waters, still waters, the influences and graces of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Bible tells us that God will speak peace. Uh, I believe that's Psalm 85. If you want to turn Psalm 85 quickly and verse uh, 6, no, verse uh, 8. It says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Now, what's God going to speak? Listen, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Where does peace come from? When God speaks it, you have the peace. In John 14. In verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus promises us peace. He leaves us a legacy of peace. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why why are we always troubled and afraid when the Lord says I'm going to speak peace to you and I promised it. He maketh me to lie down green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. That's peace. And then he restoreth my soul in verse 3. Hold your place in Psalm 23. He restoreth my soul. Our soul needs restoration. And I shall not want for restoration because he restoreth my soul. When our soul is dry and and uh, in the desert, when we feel like that we're in the desert and wilderness of this world, or in the wilderness of troubles and trials, He brings restoration and refreshment. He restoreth my soul. I love that restoration that God gives. By the way, God is a restorer. In Joel 2.25, it tells how He will restore that which was eaten by the uh, devouring uh, locusts and etc. In Galatians six one the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are a spiritual, restore such a one. Restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And so we need to be restorers of our brother's souls as well. The Lord is the restorer of our souls. And then we need leadership, do we not? Look in the next part of this third verse. It says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leadeth me. I shall not want for leadership. I shall not want for rest, verse 2. I shall not want for peace, verse 2. I shall not want for restoration, verse 3. I shall not want for leadership, verse 3. All of us need leadership. Everything really stands and falls upon leadership. We have the Lord to lead us. And as under-shepherds, Randy and I, we have the responsibility of being leaders or under-shepherds. And we need to be leaders of the people and show which way to go and how to go and what to do. Guidance. Uh, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Notice paths is plural. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And we need to be led in the right paths. In Romans 8 verse 14, let me read this for you. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. See, the Holy Spirit's leadership. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God's children are led by His Spirit. And we need that uh, Holy Spirit's leadership day by day. We need God's Word to lead us. It says, Guide me with thy counsel. Afterward, receive me into glory. So the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God work in conjunction to Uh, give us the proper leadership and the Lord himself is our shepherd and he is our leader and he leads us and guides us by his spirit and by his word isn't that a threefold blessing to have the Lord himself and then have his spirit to lead us and his word to guide us and give us counsel and you know if people get on the right track if you get on the right track and do the right thing and walk with the Lord you're going to have the right kind of a life, And God will bless it. He'll bless it and He'll keep you there. We need to influence other people in our lives for good. And lead them in the right way. And people are easily led. You remember when Peter said, uh, after the resurrection, says, I go a fishing. They said, we're going with you. They says, we also go with thee. If Peter says, I'm going to the temple and pray, they'd have said, we go with thee. But when he said, I'm going fishing, they said, we're going too. So, you know, whichever way you go, if you've got someone that's influential, it's whatever he says, that's what the rest of them will do. And that's why we need people to, to associate with the right people. It makes a lot of difference as to what company you keep. You need the people of God and the house of God and the saints of God, the children of God. And when you associate with them, you're not going to be led off in the wrong direction. And that's the very trouble with many people today. They get with the wrong crowd and then they begin to do the wrong things. Amen. And beloved, if we could just get people to the house of God and listen to the Word of God and, and study in their Bibles and praying, and, and following the course that God has laid out in His Word, it wouldn't be near as difficult, would it? Our lives would be blessed and helped. And we need to, we need to pray for, for others that need this kind of leadership. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He does it because of the fact that we claim Him. He is our shepherd. I was going to do two psalms. I don't know if I will. Look at that time, and I'm not through with this one. But anyway, uh, we need God's leadership. Look at verse uh, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes this psalm has been so uh, repeated and it should be memorized. And, you know, I could just quote it to you, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to teach it to you. And I'm sure many of you can... Uh, quoted by memory, but the thing about it is sometimes we quote a psalm the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and it says uh, yea though uh, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, listen. You quote that and then say, well, what was there? But if you teach it and you look into God's Word, you'll find that it has a lot more meat there than you think about. When you really get into it, it says, Yea, though I, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now notice, it's walk here. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's so much here, I could preach the rest of the evening on this. But I want you to see some very important things. First of all, when we go through that valley of the shadow of death, there is really life. Because no one is walking through there, you don't walk if you're dead. You walk. This is activity, right? Life and activity and consciousness consciousness though, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death notice that there's a shadow there and someone has said that where there's a shadow there must be it has to be a light you can't have a shadow without a light and by the way uh the word means shade or illusion it's not an actual fact a, sh- a shadow is just a shade or an illusion of it's a it's a image of you maybe on the wall i remember my mother used to put her fingers like this and make a rabbit you ever seen them do that She could make that perfect, and it was just beautiful. I mean, it just looked really like a rabbit on the shadow on the wall. But anyway, uh, the thing about it is, the shadow can't hurt you, and that's not the real thing, is it? The shadow is not the real thing. And so, uh, why fear it? And then it says, yea, though I walk, still calmly walking with God. When he leads us beside the still waters, in verse 2, look at that. You're walking. As he leads. And now, yea, though a walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're still calmly walking with God. He does not say, I will fear. Uh, it, it says, I will fear no evil. He does not say there will be no evil. But he says, I will fear no evil. Now, then there is going to be evil. But he says, I will fear no evil. You know, the worst of all evils of life, the worst of all of them exist only in our own imagination. We always imagine things to be far worse than they really are. You know, today is today. Uh, tomorrow is a new day. The sun will come up. We'll have a new day before us. And you know the troubles of today and tomorrow and the next day will finally go into the, into the rear of things and into the past. And there will be new things and new hope and new life. And it all is, it's all because of God. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There is plenty of evil. We must face up to the fact. But we should not fear it. And why? For thou art with me. That means you have a companion in walk. You have a great courage to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because you have a divine companion. For thou art with me. God is with us in the hour of death as well as in life. We're going to find that God's grace is sufficient in life. God's grace is sufficient in the hour of sin. When we were sinners, He saved us. God's grace was sufficient in the hour of trials. When the trials came, His grace was sufficient. And He he saw us through the trials. And He does, and He will. God's grace is sufficient in the hour of suffering. When we suffer, you know, the Bible says, uh, Weeping or darkness, weeping may endure for a night, or sorrow through the night, but He says, joy cometh in the morning. Have you ever noticed in the hospital... The night gets when when you're lying in the hospital and you've been sick or operation, surgery, whatever. The night seems so long and the first thing you know when morning comes, everything takes on a new light. It doesn't mean all the suffering's gone. It doesn't mean all the pain's gone. It's just a new day and things look a little different as it comes through that dark night. And that's the way the things of God are. There's always a brighter side than we look at. There's always more hope than we might think of. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. When we have a constant companion, uh, this means fellowship with God. You know, fellowship is one thing that that we have with the Lord. And when we have fellowship with the Lord, it says truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what John tells us in the book of 1 John. And then he says... uh, Uh, I will feel no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff. The rod of protection and correction. It will protect us, the rod. Remember, and it will correct us as well. Uh, Remember Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 21, he says, Shall I come unto you with a rod? Paul says, Shall I come unto you with a rod? They needed some chastening. But he wanted to come to them with the message and with love and with grace. But he he says, you know, it might be necessary that I come for your correction. And then the rod signifies protection as well. The rod would run off any enemies or any problems, any uh, thing that would face the sheep or anything that would come against the sheep. Chase them away. Taken in the hand of the good shepherd. And then the staff, thy rod and thy staff They come from me. Thy staff is for help. Hebrews 11, verse 21. Let me read this for you. Hebrews 11, verse 21. It says this. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. And then in Hebrews uh, 13, in verse 6, it says this. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my Helper. He's the one we lean upon. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So there's uh, comfort and there's help and there's protection with the Lord. And then it says uh, in the next verse, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Can you imagine this? The good man even has enemies. By the way, if you didn't have enemies, you might have a lot to worry about as a Christian. That's the truth. You'd be pleasing the world, the flesh, and the devil if you didn't have them. But uh, you're going to have enemies if you live for God, I'll guarantee you. Now, it doesn't mean you won't have friends. But it does mean that people, there are people that, you know, Jesus made a division. He made a division. And he says, there will be those that will follow me and those that will not. And he says, I came not to bring, listen, he gave us peace. We just read about peace. But he says, I came not to bring peace, but division in another place. And he's speaking of the fact that there would be some that would be divided against him and his people. Just remember Paul, when he was converted on the road to Damascus, and he met Jesus on that road, and Jesus spoke to him and says, "Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me?" And so there were uh, Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Christians, and there was division because he was on the other side of the, the fence at that time, wasn't he? he? Was on the other side of the of the way of Christians. He was to go and bind and take captive and to put in prison and to uh, persecute everyone that was found in that way. The way was spoken of as the Christian way. And so when you find people in that way, they're going to have those that will persecute them, just like Saul did before he was converted. And he, he was so smitten uh, with the presence of the Lord. And remember, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jesus made it a personal uh, affront that if if His children were persecuted, it was the same as persecuting Him. He took it as a personal offense to Himself. And He says, Why persecutest thou Me? He wasn't persecuting Jesus, was He? He was persecuting those that were uh, for the Lord and living a Christian life in all of that way. And Jesus took it personal. And uh, Saul says, Lord, what wilt Thou have Me to do? He was so stricken. He surrendered. He, he was saved and called to preach and ordained to be the apostle to the Gentiles all in one instant of time. You talk about really getting converted. He did, didn't he? And by the way, he didn't pray a sinner's prayer. He believed. He accepted. He surrendered. He just said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You know, you have people nowadays, you, we're taught, you know, you've got to get everybody on their knees and make them repeat the words, Lord, God, be merciful to me a sinner. You don't have to do that to be saved. It doesn't hurt to do that if that's what you feel like. You know what I mean? But that's not the pattern you have to follow. Paul was as much a saved person as I ever knew anything about and the greatest preacher of the New Testament and the apostle of the New Testament, greatest worker of all that I can find. And he said, Lord, what will Thou have me to do? He said, I surrender. I give up. I want you. You're Lord. I trust you. You're my Savior, and I, I want to be your servant. And can I be an apostle? He didn't even have to say that. God had already chosen him to be an apostle. And Paul says later on, he says, God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach among the Gentiles. Listen, it's all of God, isn't it? You don't take it by just patterns here and there and say it has to be this way and that way. That's why we tried to make it personal at the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, I can't tell you the moment, the instant, the the minute that I was saved. A lot of people can They can tell you exactly when they they were saved, but I can't tell you that. I was a little boy going to Sunday school up here in First Baptist Church, and it was right this side of the circle, uh, right in the middle of that circle, above the post office, and it faced the mountain, a big old board and bat building. Tabernacle. It was called the Baptist Tabernacle. First one it ever in Rio Dosa. And it faced uh, up to Mount Baldy. We used to call it Mount Baldy instead of Sarablanca. And that was the way we grew up as children. But anyway, big old uh, wooden front steps and go up in there and big old board floor and tromp around in there and Sunday school kids and had a daily vacation Bible school and I was probably four or five years old. And the other kids were... Uh, told they need to believe on Jesus, trust Him as Savior. And I, I agreed with the rest of them. I thought, well, this is the best thing for me to do. And I felt it in my heart. I didn't know what was happening. still, don't I still couldn't tell you much about it. All I know is that later, it uh, was all supposed to go over to Tudorosa and be baptized in a swimming pool over there. Mother said, you're too little, you can't go. Well, she always regretted it. But uh, nevertheless, finally when my wife and I we're married and we joined the First Baptist Church down here in Riosa Downs. We we're baptized, went over down the Gordon, we're baptized. Had to borrow Baptistry then, even from Riosa Downs. But anyway, to make a long story short, we don't have to follow everyone's pattern. We don't have to follow everyone's pattern. And it'd be good for us to learn some of these things as we go along the way. It says, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And it says, Uh, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Look at this. Every Christian is a priest, but he cannot execute his priestly office without unction. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Every Christian needs the unction and anointing of God's Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we're all priests in our own right in the New Testament. Peter says you're a kingdom of priests. You're a priestly family, a chosen generation a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And he tells us as believers, he says believers are that. But we need divine unction or Holy Spirit's anointing to exercise the office of of our priesthood. Thou anointest my head with oil. In other words, the oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it says, "...and my cup runneth over all the blessings of God, rich blessings." New grace from on high. Many blessings. You know, God uh, gives us all the blessings and necessities of life. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And it says, my cup runneth over. That's uh, all the joy that we can enjoy. We have great joy. Uh, In Hebrews 1, verse 9, let me give you this. I quote it to you, but let's just read it. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, speaking of the Lord Himself. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee, now listen, with the oil of gladness. The oil symbolical of the Holy Spirit. Of gladness, that signifies joy above thy fellows. You see? And now back to our psalm. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So we have the oil of gladness, given us the blessings of God, and joy. One Peter one verse eight. Let me read this for you. One Peter chapter one, and verse eight. I want you to notice what this says. <clears throat> Let's read verse seven first, and then we'll read verse eight. It says uh, in verse seven that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, look at this, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, <clears throat> look at this, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Isn't that something? That through the midst of trials, though it need be, verse 6, and that the trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, in verse 7, Might be found to praise at the coming of Christ, verse 7. And it says, whom having not seen, you love, in verse 8 now. Though now you see him not, yet believing. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Only the Christian can do that. Only the child of God can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the joy that will come to him because of of the fact that God makes His cup to run over. The cup of blessing, we'll call it. He has not only a full cup and enough in the cup, but He has that which is running over. Uh, I think it's Brother Donahoe's daughter that saying about a cup running over or saucer being full. Well, you know your saucer's not full unless the cup's running over, is it? And so, you know, it's a, it's a real blessing to know that you have more than enough. We speak of Joseph back in the Old Testament when... Jacob gave the blessings to his son, and he says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, and we gave you this before, whose branches hang over the wall. And then we told you about the apple trees and the branches of the trees down the Hondo Valley hanging over the fence, and, and Coke would stop his school bus there, and those that were hanging over the fence, you'd just go get an apple, because that was on the, on the right-of-way. It had no business over there. And he'd stop the bus and let them all go get an apple. If those guys had to want their orchard to be in the fence, they cut the limbs off and say, nothing on this side of the fence is yours, but all that hangs over the wall belongs to anybody that passes by. Just get you an apple as you go by. Someone says, that's stealing. I don't think so. You know, in the... In the uh, I don't think so. You see, God, you know, God made provisions. If you look back in the Old Testament... If you remember, Ruth was told to glean in someone's field the corners. It was to be left for the stranger, the widow and the stranger, and the orphans. It was to be left for them. You you were not to cut the corners of your field. You leave them go. And that was for them. In fact, Boaz, typical of Christ, was so gracious that he says, uh, let some handful on purpose fall for Ruth. He says, not only let her glean where she has a right to do under the law, but give her some extra blessings and let handfuls of purpose fall for her. So God is so gracious. He says, I'm not going to only give you that which you have a right to, but I'm going to give you some extras along the way. Isn't that great? You know God's great and His Word is great, isn't it? His Word gives us all this instruction if we look into it. Now I want you to notice, and our time is getting away. I was going to teach both of these psalms. Look at verse 6. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. We have need of mercy. The Bible tells us in the Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we should come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It tells us that seeing that we have a, a great high priest on the right hand of God, Jesus, the Son of God, he says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, so if we have not an high priest which cannot be touched, as stated in the negative, we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It's stated in the negative to show us we have not one who cannot be touched, but we have one who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And it says, therefore, therefore, since Jesus can be touched and is approachable, therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace, unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time with need. And so the Christian has a right to come in not just wondering if God will hear and saying, well, I don't know if God wants me to come or not. That's not the right attitude. He says come boldly because He's given you the invitation. He says that He can be touched by your infirmities, your needs, your feelings. He says He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He's overcome and He says, I'm going to help you to overcome. And so He says, Come boldly that we may obtain, uh, may find mercy and have gr- uh, mercy and grace to help in time of need. So let's look at this back in our psalm now. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow Me. Now then, we follow the shepherd as sheep, but goodness and mercy follow us. I mean, we have the Lord before us leading us. And we have goodness and mercy coming behind us. Someone has said it's like two watchdogs, two little watchdogs, goodness and mercy, and they'll follow us all the days of our life. Isn't it good to have goodness and mercy following along, taking care of you all the days of your life? That's what we have. God's people do not realize that they have someone going before, but they all have, also have someone behind to protect. Like the children of Israel, remember the pillar of cloud and fire? It went before them and led them by day and by night, the pillar of cloud by day to protect them from the sun, the pillar of fire by night to give them light, to show the way. And the same pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness, when they were coming out of Egypt, that was guiding them and leading them and guiding them and protecting them, went from before them to behind them when the Pharaoh and his army approached Israel to protect them and separate them from the enemy. You fear someone's going to come up on your back? Don't worry about it. God's back there. He's got goodness and mercy back there to take care of you. All the days, all not just some of the days, all the days of my life, the good days, the bad days, the dark days, the light days, the sad days, the happy days, all the days of my life. All of our days are not the same. We have days that we feel bad. We have days we feel good. We have days that we're depressed. We have days that we're on top of the world, so to speak. We have days that are very dark and dismal. We have days that are full of problems and troubles that are cloudy. But God has the sunshine coming through. And it says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, the last statement. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have an eternal home. We shall not want for an eternal home. And God has promised us that after this life is over. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is one of the best psalms I know of. Only six verses, but it's a good psalm. And I was, I'm not going to attempt to get into that 24th. Our time is gone. Thank